I want to show you a picture of someone I don't know. His name is Mike Wetzel. This is a picture of him with his family. Uh, they're doing what we just did a few minutes ago, the family coming up and lighting Advent candles. Mike Wetzel was one of the victims of the San Bernardino terror attack earlier this week. And I cannot imagine what his family is going through this week. His church posted this video this week um, of the Advent service the previous week. I can't imagine what Mike Wetzel's family is dealing with right now. I heard about Mike from a pastor friend of mine, Bill Stanley. He's the pastor of Lake Arrowhead Presbyterian Church. Um, Bill and I were part of the same presbytery together. We um, we were part of the, the Presbytery of Riverside, and um, there's a number of small churches along the, the front range of the San Bernardino Mountains. So I knew Bill, I knew the pastor of Redlands, a guy named Tom um, Stoddard, Renard, Tom Renard, um, and I, the pastor of Ukaipa and some of the other churches. And when I saw Bill's Facebook page, he asked people to pray for Mike's family. He, Mike wasn't a member of his church, but he knew him in the community. It's not a big community, Lake Arrowhead. And he said everybody knew Mike and was grieving for him. And so I think one of the things we can do is we can be in prayer for Mike's family um, and for all, all of the people in that, in that set of communities, Redlands and up, Upland, Ukaipa, San Bernardino, all the people and all the churches there. I don't envy my pastor colleagues who are living in that area because I know they're having to talk to their congregations about something that they'd rather not talk about, that they're talking about terror and horror instead of Christmas. And I think we'd all rather talk about Christmas. But this is Advent. This is the season of preparation for Christmas. It's the time when we remember that Jesus came for a reason. Jesus came because we needed a Savior. That God looked down from heaven and he saw that we needed a Savior. And for God, our need was reason enough. You know, for the last couple of months, maybe a year, I've been shaking my head. How many of you have seen this? set of initials on social media, SMH, shaking my head. You know, I've been, I've been wondering, have we bottomed out? Ha, ha, you know, it probably began with the, the Syrian refugee crisis where I just saw things in the news and said, that's terrible. And then, and then I saw police violence here in our country. I've seen riots. I've seen campus protests. I've seen violence and terror at the hands of of misguided ideologues and outright lunatics. And I just keep saying, have we reached the bottom yet? Have we bottomed out? All I can do is shake my head because I wonder, have we reached the bottom yet? But Advent is a time of hope. You know, last week we looked at, we looked at a situation where God spoke into people who were pretty much fat, dumb, and happy and said, it's going to get worse. People who were very content with themselves despite all the evil that they were complicit in. And God said, I cannot allow this to go unpunished. And that's a message that is a hard message. And if we heard it, it would be very difficult for us to digest. 
But I think honestly, when you look at what's going on in our world today, it may actually be harder to hear the message of hope. The message that bad as things are, they're going to get better. Because that is the message of Advent. The message of Advent is that, is that maybe things have not yet hit bottom, but that God is still sovereign and things will get better. So I'd like to look at this passage of scripture where the prophet Isaiah spoke to people who maybe were wondering the same thing that we're wondering, wondering, have we reached the bottom? Is this, is this the bottom? People who could only shake their heads. Let me, let me give you some context. I talked last week about Josiah. Josiah was one of the last kings of Judah. And shortly after his death, the, the empire of Babylon conquered Jerusalem and it deported the people of Judah into Babylon over a course of uh, several deportations over about 20 years. And we don't know a lot about what it was like when they got there. We have the scriptures tell us a lot about what that conquest was like. If you, if you want something, well, uh, you should read the book of Lamentations, but don't read it until after Christmas. It's a terrible, terrible book. We don't know, we don't know what it was like once they got to Babylon, but we have a few hints. We heard one today from Psalm 137. The people of God cry out. They say, they say, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How could we sing when all we can do is shake our heads and hope somehow we have reached the bottom? That is the context into which God speaks his word through the prophet Isaiah. And what he says is comfort. Our translation says, comfort, oh comfort. In the Hebrew, it actually says, comfort, comfort. It's just repeating the word, comfort. Comfort, my people. In those days, most cultures believed that there were local gods, that there was a god up on the mountain, and you prayed to him. You prayed to him or her when you wanted fertility or when you wanted crops. There were local gods. And they're off in Babylon. Where is their god? Their god is back home, back in Judah. What can they, what can they even pray to? And God says, no, you are still my people. I am God over the whole earth. And you cannot go far away so far that you are not still my people. God says, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then the prophet says, A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The picture here is of, of a world where there were vast distances that had to be traveled by foot and the roads were not maintained regularly. But when a VIP, when the king or one of the top governors traveled through an area, they would send word out ahead of time and the locals would clean the roads up. They'd spruce them up because they didn't want to antagonize the king or whatever VIP was passing through. And Isaiah paints a picture. He says, not just the little ruts in the road, not just the bumps 
and the, the ruts, but he says the valleys and the plains, because this is no ordinary human VIP. This is the God of Israel. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. God will travel that road through the wilderness and arrive here in Babylon. And all the people, Jews and the Babylonians, they will all see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And the prophet says, what shall I cry? What is the point in telling people good news in the midst of so much trouble? Because their constancy is like grass. He says, their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. What good will it do to tell them good news if they're stuck here in Babylon? And the prophet is answered. The grass withers, the flower fades, it is true. But the word of our God will stand forever. This is one thing you can count on. You can set your compass to this statement. The word of the Lord will stand forever. So the voice continues. Get up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Zion, one of the two mountains that Jerusalem is built on. A poetic name for Jerusalem. Zion, herald of good tidings. Good news that can be heard all the way in Babylon. O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. What about that God? He comes with might. He can do what he purposes to do. He is coming to Babylon to release us. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. But he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will not hurt a lamb. This picture of God, strong enough to redeem, but gentle enough to bring his people home. That's the picture that Isaiah paints. People had to trust it until 539 B.C. when the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persian Empire. The the place in modern-day Iraq was conquered by an empire that included modern-day Iran. And the new new government, the king of Persia, had a new policy. And he said these exiles could go home to their homelands. And the Jews left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. The word of the Lord will stand forever. And it stood 500 years. The people of God remembered the way that God had promised that things would get better. And they did. And then in about 30 A.D., a new prophet began to minister out by the river Jordan, and he said that people should get baptized because God was coming. People came out to him and said, Who are you? And he said, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. I am announcing good news for the whole world. Just as Isaiah gave good news to the exiles, I am announcing good news to the whole world because God is coming. See, most of us aren't going to face these sorts of problems. Most of us are not going to face the kind of problems that get in the news. We're dealing with everyday problems. I was in a conversation with a with a leader of my denomination, one of the leaders in our local denomination, and I was saying, you know, the problems that you're dealing with at this meeting just don't concern me. I just don't care 
about the problems you're bringing up because the people in my congregation are dealing with things that are a lot more basic. And I talked about some of you. I talked about people who are facing health problems in your own bodies or in those of loved ones. I talked about some of the people who are dealing with the challenges that come with aging. I talked about people who've got problems with their kids or problems with their parents. I talked about people whose relationships are rocky. And I said, what are we doing wasting our time with these pie-in-the-sky problems? We have real problems. And I know many of you are dealing with real problems, and you're wondering, has it bottomed out yet? Is it going to keep getting worse, or have we reached the bottom? And all you can do is shake your head. And the news behind Advent, the promise of Advent, is that God has a word that cannot be shaken, that God's word is faithful, and that Jesus came to offer people with real problems real hope. Let me show you what I mean. On Thursday, this newspaper ran. I don't know if any of you saw it. It's the New York Daily News, and it said, God isn't fixing this. Uh, Politicians issued statements, um, many of them, you know, the, the standard statement after a tragedy, our thoughts and prayers go out to those who are grieving. And the New York Daily News said, God isn't fixing this. And I think, I think that what they were saying is, is if, if you care about this, if you care so much, why don't you do something? And I understand that. But what they said is God isn't fixing this. And the reality is that God is fixing this. The challenge that we face as believers is to believe that God fixes things. This is the challenge that Christianity has always faced. But what Christianity has always done is to change the world. Every reform movement in the parts of the world where Christianity has reached, has been led by the church. If you think about the temperance movements, the anti-slavery campaigns, the, the movement for public education, public health, the civil rights movement, all of these were led by the church because the church believes in a God who fixes things. And our challenge as Christians is to be the heralds of that God, to say that God does fix things, to get up on those high mountains. When we're tempted to say, well, I don't know, maybe God will do something, maybe he won't, for fear of looking ridiculous, for fear of standing there when God doesn't show up on our schedule. The challenge for us is to say God fixes things. God fixes everything that gets fixed ultimately. Advent reminds us that we serve a God who is not aloof. God could have sat up there in heaven watching us and shaking his head. But that's not the kind of God we serve. Advent reminds us that God looked at us in our pain and our troubles and got involved. God did not hold himself aloof. God knows what it is to be a human. God knows what it is to suffer violence and rejection. God knows what it is to watch when his son suffers violence and rejection. God does that. And because of that, we know we can trust God's word because he sent his son to fix things. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we give you thanks that you are not aloof, that you saw us in our misery, you saw us in our troubles, and did not hesitate, but came down. 
We give thanks that your word can be trusted, that what you have promised is true. It was true for the exiles in Babylon. It was true for the people in the time of Christ. And it is true for us as we await his coming. We pray, Lord, you'd give us confidence that we can go out and take on the challenge of being heralds of Christ in a world where mostly we just want to shake our heads. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to be part of the things you're doing to fix this. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.